Hello, and welcome to the Nourish Soul podcast, where we talk about all things body, mind, and soul. I'm your host, Dr. Kelly Ritter. Y'all are going to love this one. In this next episode of the Nourish Soul podcast, I get to talk with, discuss, and interview my good friend, Dr. Megan Toops. Megan is an amazing person. She's just a beautiful soul, so I know you're going to like her. I call her my gut health sister because when Megan and I met, we were so, um, both of us really interested in nutrition. Both of us were licensed professional counselors. So and Megan has been a holistic um, psychotherapist for a while. She started as kind of the traditional psychotherapist, licensed professional counselor, then went on to get um, her coaching. So she got it certified in holistic health coaching so that she could do more of an integrative approach with her clients and then decided to get her doctorate. And so she got her doctorate in psychology from the University of West Georgia. And she just has a beautiful approach she really specializes in working with women, particularly helping anxious women with awakening. So you're a really amazing person. So we talk a lot about that. And I love that Megan says this, part of becoming who we want to be is unbecoming. So deconstructing who others wanted us to be, or maybe even still want us to be, and in turn returning towards our original state of wonder in the world. So I think that's beautiful. And I hope that you enjoy listening to this episode or watching if you're watching on YouTube, as much as I enjoyed spending time with my dear friend, Dr. Meg. Dr. Tubes, it's so exciting. I, you know, I was like, where do we start? Cause I haven't I seen you in a while and you are my gut health sister. Yes. So we usually go into gut health talking. And so I'd love to talk a little bit about that, but the, you know, really, I want to talk about anxiety because you and I have both really been working a lot mm -hmm. with anxiety and people with that are struggling with anxiety. So I thought, and you had a post not too long ago where you were doing a video about anxiety and talked about, it's just a part of you. And I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, yeah, that's that. I love to talk in parts. Yes. And that's not all of who you are. So that's a piece. We can definitely talk about your dissertation and talk about the soul and what nourishes your soul. So where, what do you feel like this morning? How would you like to start? Where would you like to start? Are you sick of talking about your dissertation? What do you, where do you want to oh, start? Oh yeah. I mean, we can start wherever if you, we can start with anxiety if, if you want, like kind of my conception of it or Mm -hmm. um, if you want to do that, wh wherever you want to go. I think anxiety is a good place to start because I don't know about you, but I have been seeing the increase over the last couple of years. And I thought we were getting to a place where it was starting to feel like that wasn't coming in as much and mm -hmm. not so much. Yeah. Um, and I think with a war going on and especially people who are very sensitive and they don't even realize they think it's them, but the world, they're so sensitive to everything that's going on in the world that it's just feeling overwhelming. So maybe we can talk about that a little bit in your conception of anxiety, where you are with that right now. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. That okay. sounds good. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, my almost pretty much my entire practice is working with highly sensitive or highly empathic people. And so um, I feel like we are, me included, are prone to anxiety when we don't have great boundaries or self-care, when we're too hooked into social media. And because, you know, we can see everything today, you know, everything that's going on, not only like in the lives of people who are close to us, but you know, across the ocean. And so we can be bombarded energetically. And so without, you know, great boundaries and good self-care and community and all these things, then it can kind of manifest as anxiety. So, mm-hmm. you know, for a while I was kind of focusing on the, an- the anxious empath, you know, and, and how mm-hmm. we can take better care of ourselves in order to release that. Um, because I think, highly empathic and highly sensitive people, we don't have great boundary differentiation between us and others. So, you know, if we go around someone who's really sad, you know, we might take that on and not really know what's happening. And then we feel out of control and it's not even our stuff and we can, you know, have a panic attack or have a lot of anxiety. So I think we have to be really careful about our energetic boundaries and, you know, how that shows up for us and how it contributes to our anxiety. Right. And so how would you recommend people? Cause boundaries, you, that's a word gets thrown around a lot. So how do you practically work with people about their boundaries and how to take good care of themselves? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's quite the journey. And I think we have to address it on kind of a mind, body, spirit, and other, other perspectives. So in relationships, so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there are practical ways that we can protect our energetic bodies, Mm -hmm. uh, through meditation and visualization, um, you know, taking time to clear our minds and breathe and connect with our own bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we also need to start recognizing and naming the emotions that are coming up. So, you know, when I'm around this person, I feel right now, I feel sad or angry or so just starting to cultivate that mind body connection when we're in the presence of others. So that way we can say, you know, five minutes ago, I wasn't feeling this way. Now I am what's happening. Mm -hmm. So I think increasing the mind body connection and recognizing that, you know, in each moment we might be absorbing things that are not ours and that we can release. Right. So being able to say, wait, is this mine? This wasn't (laughs) happening five minutes ago. What changed? Who walked in? (laughs) Um, Because I think most of us start thinking something happened to us, like something is wrong with me because now Mm -hmm. I'm anxious, not even asking, wait, whose stuff might I be taking on here? Yes. And then to ground even like, so I love my body just to be the aware of what's going on in your body. Where am I feeling that in my body? But then to release it, I find, you know, sometimes people don't know what to do then. Like, I don't know how to release it. Mm-hmm. And just to set the intention from an energetic perspective to say, I release this, but then something else, like some kind of breathing, grounding, two second meditation. I think people think I don't have time to sit down and meditate. And like, it's not one conscious breath in and out is a meditation. So says Eckhart Tolle. So yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, having that compassionate approach for yourself and others. So if you're around somebody and you start 
taking on their stuff or whatever. It doesn't mean that that person is a bad person and you can't be around them. It means that, you know, first of all, you might be absorbing some of their stuff. And second of all, they might be activating unconscious material that is wanting to be worked out in ourselves. And so, you know, I think of, of anxiety as an opportunity for higher consciousness and an awakening process, because if we tune in and say, you know, I'm really anxious around this person. Am I absorbing their stuff? Are they activating a childhood wound? Are they, you know, activating some sort of insecurity that I hold around myself that I'm ready to release? And then we can get curious about our symptoms and wonder, you know, what part of me is actually trying to heal through the experience of these symptoms. And so others can be our greatest teachers through the identification and compassionate holding of our symptoms. Yes. Yeah. And I think that was the biggest kicker in my transformation is realizing that um, this is an opportunity instead of thinking I needed to get rid of, I need to get rid of this feeling. I need to get rid of that person. I need, but they're bringing, it's really a mirror. So everything in your environment, I think that was really what was hard. It's like everything, including the things about which you are complaining are a mirror for you. And it's triggering, bringing, I like the word trigger to it, but it's bringing up what needs to be healed in you for you to see. So if you really don't like someone or you're really having a hard time with your boss or your neighbor or your kid or whatever, it's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I, I, that was a hard pill to swallow at first. It is. It's so hard because I think it's also, you know, mm-hmm. it's releasing that victim archetype as well as, you know, I'm a victim to my symptoms, which is a hard thing to wrap your mind around because in a sense, you know, we do feel victimized by our symptoms and our mm-hmm. experience in our life. But then if we move into this different state of compassionate holding around, you know, they are just activating something in me that's wanting to grow, then it, it shifts things for us and we can become more empowered. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always tell my clients, it's not about getting rid of your anxiety. You know, anxiety might be a part of your experience as a sensitive person. It's about recognizing it more quickly and mm-hmm. knowing that it's coming as a messenger rather than a, um, a punishment and yeah. being able to jump out of it more quickly. That's our goal. So, you know, a long, long time ago when I struggled with really bad anxiety, you know, I, it kind of took over my life at, at a time. And now if I feel anxious or I feel overwhelmed by anxiety, I know it's coming up to show me something. And so I listen to it now and it goes away more quickly. So it's like, a it's having a different relationship with our anxiety that feels more like the, the empowered goal for me. Yes. Yeah, having the different relationships, seeing it differently, and I think taking responsibility, but I think of the word responsibility, ability to respond, and the more awareness you have and can stop in the compassionate piece. I mean, you keep talking about this, you know, having some compassion there for yourself, for others. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yes. And I think That's so key because we want to judge everything and we want to think, you know, my anxiety is bad. I'm bad. This person's bad because they're making me feel these ways. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really about having compassion for our experience, for their experience. And then the the co-created experience that 
you know, may look like anxiety or stress or whatever it is. And, you know, ideally in, you know, in relationships, we can, it can serve as such a container for transformation and growth. And it's so nice when two people are wanting to grow in that container in a conscious way, doesn't always happen that way. And so how do we hold ourselves with compassion and hold the other person with compassion as we're working and growing? And it's a lot. It is a lot, but it's also a really more, it's a more hopeful view, in my opinion, to look at anxiety and as anything that's coming up for you that feels uncomfortable, any, anything as an opportunity as saying, oh, this is something that's trying to signal something in me. I remember for years, I kept saying something's wrong to all these doctors. Cause after, especially after my second child, I had, um, a hernia. But I kept saying, I don't feel right. Like something doesn't feel right. So they took the hernia out and I was like, I told these people and then the feeling didn't stop. So I was convinced that this was some bad feeling that I had in my gut, no clue. Then it started um, becoming a tool. So as I would move towards something, I mean, like jewelry to wear that day um, reaching for a coat and I would feel this like feeling in my gut. And I was like, Oh, and so then I would move towards something else, started using it with food, with like assignments before I would jump in to say, yeah, I'll take that on just to check it out a little bit to say yes or no. And I noticed I have a yes response from my gut. I have a neutral. And then I have an absolutely not like I'm going to, you know, throw up right here experience. And I didn't realize that my whole life I've been trying to get rid of that feeling and kept saying something's wrong when actually it was something that was trying to help me (laughs) make decisions my whole life. I was like, oh, okay. So really anything in your life that sometimes we're thinking we need to get rid of it when really it's a tool. That's amazing. What a powerful story. I didn't know that story about you. Wow. Uh, yeah. 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 Convinced. Yeah. You're right. Cause we're, we're taught that, you know, if something's wrong, we take a, a pill and we get rid of it and cut it out, uh, cut it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah. the symptom is, is, is really like the material, you know? Um, and then, yeah. Yeah. And it's not that I didn't have a hernia. Right. I did. But that was not actually going to fix it. And I think I see that a lot with my clients. They think that the medication is going to fix them or some surgery is going to, or this or that, this diet or whatever it is. And it's more of a process. um, Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that sometimes things are actually helpful, even though they seem like they're a problem. Yes, exactly. And and I think what, what you did too, you know, is... A lot, we're told by the medical system so often, I think, especially as women that, you know, there's nothing wrong and they minimize our experience and, you know, that's really yeah. well-documented and, um, you know, especially with female specific diagnoses, you know, postpartum depression, anxiety, uh, endometriosis, mm-hmm. things like that. And so it requires some sort of, you know, grounding in ourselves to not only trust what's happening in our bodies. And sometimes we need the surgery and then we, we still, you know, it's like you transformed that experience into something uh, really helpful for you. Mm -hmm. And so, 
you know, being able to have that approach, I think is really empowering. And I've certainly had my experience of, you know, psychosomatic symptoms that I've, you know, doctors wanting to give me all these medications to get rid of. And um, I knew there was something more, which eventually led me to the gut health and the holistic healing perspective, because I was so frustrated and at them just pushing drugs and trying to fix me. Same. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right. Well, that's a nice little segue into gut health. Yeah. So, um, yeah. How much are you working? Because you've been doing lots of things. How much are you still working with people from the gut health holistic approach? Yeah. So I always kind of keep it back at back of mind. You know, not everybody is, is wanting to go there, you know, in, in our work and that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I used to teach a lot about gut health. I used to teach it to therapists and, you know, I don't know, God, it was like seven, eight years ago or something. It was a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I haven't been doing that as much, but it's kind of always with me, the gut health piece, because I think, you know, once I figured out, I think it was maybe, well, maybe eight years ago, I figured out that the mind and the body were connected and most of our serotonin is in our gut. And, and I was so angry because of all the school I've been to, I mean, I've been to school for 10 years, you know, right. They never taught us that never once mentioned, right. Never. And I was, I was angry. And so I, you know, I took a deep dive into it you know, all those years ago. And, um, I was at a point in my life when, you know, doctors were wanting to give me, uh, immune suppressant drugs for eczema and psoriasis and, mm-hmm. you know, anxiety meds. And, and what it really was is I needed to heal from the inside out. I needed to take time for myself and care for myself and mm-hmm. at a real gut level. Um, so, you know, how it's transformed for me is I, I do work with clients specifically on, optimizing gut health through nutrition, self-care, sometimes supplements. Um, And so I do have kind of a strong base there, but um, yeah, it's something that I try to practice for myself always as you know, as you know, we have to practice what are, what we preach. Um, So it's something that I bring in when clients are interested Mm -hmm. and yeah, and kind of teach it in that workshop. I, I know I forgot we did a, we did our workshop on gut health and the ethics of gut health yes. for therapists. I was before I was maybe 2019. Yeah. So. Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, you know, I was the same kind of angry in 2009 when I realized what well, you actually taught me about the serotonin. I think you were the first place where you're like, most of the, the serotonin is made in the gut. <laughs> Wait a minute. What? Because yeah. that we need to be teaching that. So that's when it all yeah, yeah started for me too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. We did teach the ethics. Cause I think it's important too, as we're kind of moving into this mind, body spirit and having a lot of research behind it, um, yeah. uh, treatment, you know, for, for therapists to engage mm-hmm. that ethical approach. And it's a, fine line and we both have training and so that helps too yeah yeah and really for me it was the same like I was trying to heal personally and I also of course my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer so that's how I found gut health and started trying to heal all of us um and then you and I connected around that and I've really transitioned quite a bit though and looking at the research and continuing to figure out 
I mean, just to ask the question, what is it that we actually need to heal the gut? And my experience so far, I don't know, is that everybody's a little different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Bio-individuality. Everyone is different. And I love the work that you're doing, which is really just very specific around, you know, gut and nutrition. And I think that's so important. Um, I think, whereas I do more of the therapy and the um, psychological piece and I bring in the gut health now. So it's kind of a nice, nice little compliment to each other as we always have been. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, and I tried that for a while and realized that's not my place anymore. And that we could talk about that too. When you realize you're moving, like you're being asked, you're being called to do something else. And I had all of this history and titles and I was like, I'm just going to let this go. Um, and yeah, to transition. So I've really found my place more in the nutrition mm-hmm. space. So you are transitioning. I mean, now you are Dr. Meg. Yeah. Talk to me about how that's going yeah how you're feeling in that yes so speaking of transitions I mean I I returned back to school my kids were little they were four and six and um didn't make a ton of sense you know logically but it was something I felt like I had to follow heart-wise yeah and I went there to study holistic health and gut health related to mental health that was my intention right and it, it shifted uh very much so it's kind of like, no, wait, I just, you know, I'm certified in this and this is what I want to study and this is what I want to do. And I had to be open to what came up for me in the process through the schooling. Yeah. And, it, you know, it turned out to be really exciting and different and like nothing I've ever done before. So it's kind of, you know, putting away those logical, this is the way it should be and being open to what is meant and yeah. moving in that space. Yeah. So talk to me about your research. Yeah. So the research process was amazing. I, I love talking to the women and interviewing. What I did is I, um, I took interviews of mothers with anxiety with kids who were 10 and under. So kind of in, um, my sphere also have kids 10 and under. Um, and so I looked at, I, I did a voice centered analysis. So I listened to the different voices and how they spoke, their stories of motherhood and the experiences that they have. And I listened for really nuanced changes in their, in their voice. And I was able to identify four different voices that were coming through in each of the interviews, which is really incredible. Um, and so what I found is that there is a strong voice of the collective in women mm-hmm. Uh, and women in particular. So I, I, it was a a feminist qualitative um, uh, research study. And I found that we internalize messages from the collective about who we think we're supposed to be and living in a patriarchal and capitalistic society. There are a lot of messages that women and mothers in particular, we absorb. And so what I was showing is that we not only just passively, you know, find these messages and think about them, they are living in us, these messages to be good and selfless and caring for all other people and putting ourselves on the, on the last on the list is in us, literally living in us. And I, and I found that through the voice. So we voice our experience of the collective. And so 
through that process, that identification, I'm kind of rethinking my conception of what anxiety is from a real voice-centered perspective with a direct relationship to the collective. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fascinating. Well, you know, I'm a qualitative researcher at heart. So, right. So I'm like, oh, it just gets, I get tingly when you talk about it. And I never, I have never heard of anybody using voice. So that is so exciting to me because language is so important and we know that like, so the, you know, I'm guessing inflection, it's the same as like heart rate variability, I bet you can probably see that when something is coming with people's voices, Uh it's just really interesting Uh um, in the collective that lives inside of us that we continue to, I guess, perpetuate and try to live up to, I was going to say live up to, but we're, yeah. We do. And I think, you know, foundationally it's redefining our, our conception of the self as both individual and social. So we develop through and with others. We're not just this bounded I, which is very Western, you know, I am this, I, you know, I've gotten here by myself. I've, you know, pull up my bootstraps, right? Like that's not real. We develop and we become who we are and we are who we are through and with others, through the social. And so in kind of recognizing that we can say, well, of course the collective beliefs and maternal ideologies are affecting who we are. You know, they're pervasive. You walk down the target aisle at Mother's Day and you see all of these messages about who we're supposed to be as mothers. And, you know, they're always, you are the best and you are so, you give to us so much and number one mom and, you know, um, all these things that we, we, oh, okay. On some deeper level, psychologically, we're thinking that's who I need to be as a good mother. Well, I mean, just the way we started this conversation and we were talking about, you know, defending your dissertation. And then I went and bought diapers. You went and got in the carpool line, like just trying to get her all that. Like we're doing this big thing that's taken us all of these years. We're super proud of it. And here we are. And then we, which we love our kids. I was totally fine going to get diapers. They needed to, it needed to be done. That was totally fine. I'm sure carpool I do not miss the carpool line I have to tell you (laughs) not something I'm missing something in my life um but yeah like the rush to get there so that your kids don't think that you're not thinking about them yeah but that's Mm -hmm. how we started our conversation is I that is interesting yes we have to we'll you'll have to analyze our voices and see (laughs) where we (laughs) I know we'll have to I'll have to do the analysis on that beginning, the intro to the uh, to the interview. You're, You're done right. now, but it's just yeah. Um, yeah. But that's just really interesting. Um, yeah. And then what do you do with that? How do you, do you deconstruct it in a way? How do you then help other help people? Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm working on some therapist training right now based in the research. Um, and I do need to continue the research to get a, a bigger population, but, um, you know, first I think it's, it's, we have to recognize that the collective in us, we have to recognize, you know, and I think this initially came to me in my client work when recognizing the word should, you know, we all, as therapists, we know we're shitting on ourselves should 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 and so I started getting curious about the should word you know what who who tells me I should do this 
Well, a lot of times it's Hallmark or it's Disney or it's these big collective voices that are telling us to be the certain way. So we can try to look at how does that live in us? You know, who am I comparing myself to? Who am I saying that I need to be? I should be that way. And do I really want to hold on to that anymore? Um, right. So kind of where we were talking about boundaries and letting go yeah. of, you know, certain things, but also you were mentioning social media and having some boundaries around that because we're getting even more messages than we, we used to get messages from our neighborhood, our families, yeah. the people are our teachers or wherever we were spending our day. Mm-hmm. And now we're spending our day with a much broader um scope, right? So all of these messages are coming in. Mm -hmm. So maybe some discernment too, helping people with some discernment. Do I want to put this on or Mm -hmm. did I put this on and I would like to take it off now? Um, You know, I absorbed this piece. I'm saying put it on like it's clothing, but I mean, Mm -hmm. it's armor, it's um, a belief, whatever. Do I want to put this down now? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and what would happen if I did take it off? You know, would I disappoint my partner? Would I disappoint my mother? Would I just, you know, who is expecting me to show up in these perfect or ideal ways? And you're finding this, I mean, cross-culturally, like I'm guessing you're looking Mm -hmm. at this from a cultural perspective too. So does it, I know that it matters like race, um, sexual orientation, all of these things probably play into it too, right? It, it does matter very much so. And, you know, I think taking an intersectional feminist approach in this research is something I want to continue to explore because, you know, um, uh, people of color need to, they have a whole other host of, of um, things to contend with than, you know, white people do. And, um, you know, with systemic racism and oppression, and, you know, these are things that, um, a certain group population of women, you know, have to contend with on a daily basis. And so it absolutely does matter. It does show up, you know, cross-culturally, um, but I think in different ways. And so that's something that I'm really focused and dedicated on working, working on, um, is, you know, giving voice to all types of women, all groups of women, um, to, yeah, because I don't think we look at the subjective experience of mothers so much. We kind of categorize and we, Um, But, you know, what women are just speaking, what we're speaking, we're so connected in so many different ways. So, so yes. And as a mother, I'm like, oh, that's fun and exciting. But I'm also the mother of boys and have a husband. And I'm like, you know, I'm also interested in male voices. Yes. Um, It's not that you can study this and be interested and it's important and not, and you're not saying that boys don't matter and that the male voices don't matter because, you know, right, right. No, the male voice does absolutely matter. And I think, you know, I have a son, um, I have a husband, you know, I, I, you know, I think that sometimes when with, you know, feminist work, or when we focus on women's work, it, you know, it doesn't mean that men don't matter. Um, you know, I think because, you know, the patriarchy affects men too, in negative ways, like it's not a a women versus men thing or, or what have you. Um, it's just, it's different and it affects men differently. Absolutely. So, Yeah. yeah. And I'm interested in fatherhood sort of, I mean, like I'm curious, but as a mother and just our collective experience, when you add all the different layers, but mother, 
and what mothering means, whether you actually physically have children or not, I think you get some mothering expectations as a, Mm -hmm. as a female in our country, in this world. Yes. Yes, we, we do. And that's really well documented that we have lots of these maternal myths about what it is to be a mother. And, you know, I think there's probably a lot of paternal myths and, you know, things that that men need to be this certain way, which I think is shifting. You know, I think the consciousness of, of uh, masculinity and maleness and men showing up differently is really evolving and it's very beautiful. And I think probably our sons will really mm-hmm. be quite different um, and allowing men to be in that space and connect with, with um, sure. others differently. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely a shift going on. Yes, you can feel that personally and yes. professionally. There's just a big shift. There's a big shift going on. Yeah. So, what is your perspective of the soul? Like, where is the soul? What does this shift have to do with our soul and soul work? Yeah, that's yeah. a nice question. Um, at the nourish soul, yes. Um, so, you know, where do I see the soul? It's interesting. I mean, I think that we each have a soul. I think it's our highest consciousness that we're trying to reach as humans. Mm -hmm. So it's that kind of deep knowing, uh, pure love um, source that is in each of us. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when we are hard on ourselves or we judge ourselves, it feels so bad because it's coming up against our soul's message, our soul's Uh, desire and love, that pure sense of love for ourselves. And so we feel that kind of disharmony. So I see the soul as ultimate source and love that connects all of us, because I think we all have, it's all the source in, in each of us. And, you know, we have to find purpose in our life and meaning, but I don't know if there's like a soul's mission. Like we have to achieve this one thing. I think we put a lot of pressure on us ourselves to do that. But, you know, I think it's looking at when do we feel in flow? When do we feel in connection? When are we, when are we noticing beauty? You know, um, Mm -hmm. you know, when we notice beauty, we feel that sense of source. That's love. It's, it's that deep sense of, of love that's in each of us and is in the flowers and the birds and, and other people. And so, you know, I think we can have soul to soul connections with other people. You know, sometimes you just meet people and they resonate and you have that soul level. So kind of the deepest part of ourselves. Mm -hmm. That all makes perfect sense to me. And the more I dig here, the more I feel like it is source energy that connects all of us. That's in all of us. I'm, you know, playing with the idea of where is it? Um, Because my whole life, I thought of it being, you know, we have a soul and it's in the body. And then I started, I just had a, a you know, through meditation and some conversations, I started seeing the soul is much bigger and mm-hmm. almost like the body is dropped into the soul. Mm. So and rather than the other way around, which is interesting. So of course, I don't know. I'm just playing with that vision. I love that vision because it also <laughs> like, I immediately thought of the aura body and just, you know, just the body dropping into the soul and then we have the energetic yeah. space around us. I love that. Mm-hmm. And from an energy work perspective, you know, in the aura and helping people clear those blockages, that's how it feels to me. It feels mm-hmm. like it's 
like it's just much more expansive yes. than just thinking about it in, from a body. But I do love grounding into the body, using the body to give us information. Mm -hmm. um, so awesome. I think, but you're right. And I also really like the, the visual of alignment when you see beauty, when you notice mm -hmm. things are, feel pretty good. And yes. that's an indication to me that you're in alignment with soul, that you're yes. moving in a direction that your soul is happy. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, sometimes, and it's noticing that it's noticing the flow and the goodness, you know, it's like even us talking, I feel connected. I feel in the flow. I, I feel, you know, the soul to soul connection. And then if I were to think to myself, oh, am I, you know, talking too fast or something that would feel, I'd feel the anxiety or whatever, and that would be a mismatch. And so then I can return back into that flow state and say, right, no, right. I'm going to be focused and, um, and I think noticing beauty is a really great way to help shift our mood, you know, and it's also a way to receive in our, you know, feminine energy too of receiving of, you know, if you feel like you're giving and giving and giving all the time, um, which so many people do, can you receive beauty and then connect to your soul and connect to your love in that way? So you're feeling depleted yeah. by giving to everyone. Can you go outside and receive the beauty of a bird? Right. And then it shifts. Right. And I think simple, you know, can yes. you receive the beauty is a really great question to just be with that and be with that in conversation. And I love your example too, because, you know, we can get in flow mm -hmm. and then just all of a sudden pop right out, like yes. have some thought of like, oh, it could be anything. And yes. the idea is to get us back in to that like, okay, I'm going to let that go and go right yeah. back to. Exactly. That's the, the bouncing back more quickly. That feels more empowered. Mm -hmm. Right. That we were mm -hmm. originally talking about that bouncing yes. back. Yeah. And a lot of the work in shame resilience was about being aware of it and getting quicker going, Oh, this is the story I'm telling myself. Uh -huh. Oh, so you were talking about naming like being able to just name where you are mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. shame is a piece of that work too. Yes. Being able to say, Oh, I'm just in a shame store. Okay. Mm -hmm. Contextualize mm -hmm. it a little bit and then say, what do I need? Mm -hmm. And I think when you're in anxiety, you're in depression, whatever it is in, you're mm -hmm. in that, that sort of state to say, Oh, okay. That's what's happening. That's the part of me that's getting mm -hmm. worked up. What do I need? Yes. How can I care for myself in this moment? In this yes. Moment. Right. To move out of it. Uh -huh. uh huh. And, you know, it's, I think it's also allowing ourselves to know that these the anxiety and depressions are not, I have anxiety. I have depression. Um, I hate it. I want it to go away. And so it's, it's also, it's a part of us, right. As we were talking about the parts work, it's a part of us. And so if we're saying, I hate my depression or I hate my anxiety as hard as it is to renegotiate that relationship. It's, it's important because it is a part of you. And on some level, you're rejecting a part of you when you reject your symptoms. Right. Yeah. And then just psychology 101, what you think about what you spend your, what you focus on grows, yes. right? Mindfulness, you know, yes. where we put our attention and our focus is going to grow. Mm -hmm. And so if you're, pushing away, but your mm -hmm. focus and attention is on the pushing away yes. is going to grow. 
Yes. That's what's so hard for people. They're like, but I'm, I'm wanting it to go away. I'm focusing on it to go away. I'm like, you're still putting all your energy and focus on it. Yes. So, yes. yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That was part of my dissertation work too, is, is reducing this notion of anxiety as an it, as is, as in like an entity, like it's, you know, kind of further reducing the kind of mind, body, spirit, soul split. It's, it's a process, the process of anxiety, just like I noted with that little thought, am I talking too fast or whatever? It's a process of them returning back. So it's, a, it's in movement, it's in flow. It's not an it. So it's not something that you can throw away or push away as if it's an object. It's, it's a part of us. It's a process and it's all right, but it, it's kind of a radical reconception. True. But you know, it reminds me of breath work when you think of breath work coming in, in, in the ocean, when you just did your hand motion like that, it's like, it's kind of like the waves come in and they go and the, the ocean, I mean, the beach looks the same, right. Yeah. But it's actually different every wave changes things just a little bit with the sand. And so it's different. So every breath is leaves you leaves us a little bit different. So it's mm. the process of, and I think sometimes people are afraid when they're in the panic attack that it's not going to go away. And it always does. Mm -hmm. It will, it will <laughs> dissipate. It comes, it goes, it comes and goes just like the waves, just like the breath. And with every breath, you're left just a little different. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's a beautiful, beautiful imagery. It's a fun use of imagery in meditation, mm -hmm. you know, to, to play with that a little bit and see if that helps with the nervous mm -hmm. system. So yes. it's a practical tool. And I think it's a nice visual for, you know, I always tell people, you don't have to sit and meditate for 30 minutes. You can do it in a minute. And so mm -hmm. imagining, like you said, the waves connecting with the breath in that way, that, that movement can sometimes help us to focus when it feels impossible to focus with yeah. too much anxiety. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. That, which feels like there was no way a way can be made. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's no way this is going to change. And then you just shift one little thing and a way mm -hmm. is made. Yes. Yeah. So talk to me about what you do to nourish your soul. Cause you're somebody, you're a mom, you were, were a, a doctoral student and teaching and in practice and all the things. Mm -hmm. And so that's a lot. That's a lot of giving. Mm -hmm. So what do you do that helps nourish your mind, body, soul, really? Yeah. I think, you know, I have recently really tapped into the power of, um, of a rep repetition of a schedule for myself. So it's, it's keeping promises to myself. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to move my body every day and, you know, trying to do it at the same time. And, um, meditating every day. So kind of keeping little promises to myself is a way that I feel really nourished and cared for by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think it's easy, at least for myself to kind of move into that space of giving and also recognizing that I'm not necessarily giving anything to someone I'm holding space in my healing work for them, for something to be activated in, into them. So we're kind of doing this co-creative work. So kind of shifting away from feeling like I'm giving, I'm doing, I'm 
fixing or whatever into yeah. I'm yeah. co-creating. Yeah. Um, so kind of like redefining my experience of that as a healer helper. Um, but I think, you know, taking, taking time regularly, promising that to myself has been really fruitful. I also do dream analysis, um, in psychoanalysis. Um, so that's been really amazing to tap into my dreams and mm-hmm. do a lot of unconscious work. Um, and that's hugely nourishing and sometimes challenging, but, um, yeah, mm-hmm. no, I love the dream work. Um, yeah, I don't do it. Do you do it in your work? Cause I don't, I don't, I just do it personally. Yes, I do both for, for some clients who are interested. Yeah. We do bring the dreams in some, and, um, I love Jungian depth psychology and, and so, um, we work a lot with, you know, archetypal language and, you know, the, I think that's another place that the soul shows up is in our dreams. And so kind of doing that soul work. Yeah. And I, I love that Jung talks about it as, um, the dreams are gift of, of, from the unconscious. So Mm -hmm. sometimes when things feel scary in a dream, you're like, this is just a gift from the unconscious. How can I learn more about my soul through this or consciousness in general? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You talk about those interchangeably kind of, I do, but you know, to that is really helpful work. Mm -hmm. Um, I think so. Are you a big dream? Do you remember your dreams? I do now I've been, um, doing dream analysis personally for the last five years, pretty consistently. Um, so I don't always remember my dreams, but what's been really cool to do it for so long is I've seen the imagery change. So, you know, water is a big theme. It's a very collective theme and dreams as well. And it's, it's changed over the last five years of just my doctoral program in the way it shows up in my dreams. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, Mm-hmm. Well, cause I was thinking, you know, there's some interesting work about people with mental illness, having deficiencies in, um, B6 in particular, and they don't remember their dreams. And when you put them on a B6, um, vitamin, mm-hmm. um, B6 and usually zinc, both of those, if you're deficient in B6 and zinc, um, then they start remembering their dreams. And so there are some psychiatrists that originally came up with that, that they would dose to dream recall. Oh, oh that's fascinating. Isn't that fascinating? Makes total sense. Right. So total back sense. to gut health and nutrition. And that, so that's why we can't ignore that because it can be super helpful. I mean, something can just be a nutrient deficiency. Exactly. And that's why I always, you know, if someone's interested in healing from the inside out, from their symptoms and engaging this process we're talking about, it's, can you get a basic, you know, nutritional blood sample done by your doctor? Can you find someone to run a few labs for you? And, you know, it might be a a magnesium. I know I was just looking at you going, I know we, we didn't even bring up magnesium. It's almost always magnesium. Almost always. Yeah. But I, and that makes sense because when we're really stressed, we use up a lot of magnesium and we need more magnesium when we're stressed. So if you're already deficient, it's a life changer for people and it's simple. 
and it's cheap. It's you know, cheap. It's, it's cheap. It's simple. Yeah. It's, and that's, and that's, you know, sometimes when I work with people I'm, who have been struggling for so long, I'm like, what did your doctor test anything? Do we have any idea of baseline numbers? And the answer is no. And yeah. it could just save so many years of struggle. If, if you address a simple deficiency, it can be that mm-hmm. simple and that difficult for people, for people to find support. So, yeah. Yes. You and I could spend an hour talking about because I have now started thinking about the sun as a nutrient and vitamin yes. D levels. My, all of my clients had really, really low vitamin D. My vitamin D level is really low. When I started working on that and seeing other people work on vitamin D yes, and their mood shifts, all kinds of things heal. It's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Just the sun as a vitamin. Yeah, it's so important for mood, vitamin D. Yeah. That and just the circadian rhythm. We won't go down that rabbit hole. We'll next we'll time. Save next time for <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I have a really selfish question just in terms of as a mother and somebody who knows all of this information has been digging deep into gut health and nutrient deficiencies and all that. How is that for you as a mom? Yeah. To kind of have all that knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> and still let them eat and be and yeah. <laughs> try yeah. to feed them well. And it's, yeah, it's, it is, it's a challenge, you know, because they live in this world and they have to be able to, you know, make their own choices. And so what I have done, that's been the most empowering for me is when they want to go eat some extra candy. I say, check in with your body. How does it feel? Does your body want it right now? And I will tell you, it is the most amazing thing. And mine are little, you know, so I don't know if they'll be doing this when they're teenagers, but I'll have them close their eyes and check in with their bodies. And then they make a decision themselves. So even when we go to a restaurant and they're like, mom, what should I get? I have, I say, close your eyes. And they do this because they're little and think about eating this and think about eating this, which feels better in your body. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of helping guide them, but also making, having them make their own decisions. And so I feel like that's how I've kind of resolved it, you know, mm-hmm. in that they're, you know, going to be independent thinkers and I can help guide, yes. but also do it in a, in a way that's practical. And yes. And I can tell you, they will most likely do that as te- mine are now 19 and 16, and they still check in with their bodies. Um, and what I really, what freed me is I've changed. So I used to think vegetables were the most important thing in the whole world. And I was sneaking veggies in their food and trying to get the veggies in. And now I've come to a place of you, you can just get the sugar out. Yes. Um, that that's really, that's all I'm really aiming to do is to help them understand sugar, the addictive nature of sugar Mm -hmm. and how that feels in their body. And they will say, you know, it's amazing what one meal can do to mess up your digestion or to um, not feel good in your body. And I'm like, you know, and there's no um, judgment or shame or any of that. You're like, yeah, you noticed that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then just trying to have, you know, good choices around now they're not home. So it's so strange to, to be on the side where they're just making. So I think that's beautiful. I think just helping them to see how that feels. Um, I don't think mine close their eyes anymore. 
but they will check him. They will check him with their body. I love that. That that gives me, you know, such promise for when they're teenagers that it will maybe continue. Oh yeah. yeah. And my son that's in college will call me and say, You'd be so proud of the the meals I've been eating. It's Aww. so funny. Yeah. <laughs> How nice to have that relationship with them. And then to try not to pick it apart, to be like, well, that was a good choice, but this is still not a great, you know, like don't just be grateful that they open up and they tell you and that they're proud and Mm -hmm. there's a time to teach and that's probably not it. Right. (laughs) There's a time to teach. Yes. And you have to very carefully maneuver when that comes in. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But I love that you're, you're opening that up for the kids and letting them, you know, figure that out for themselves because they have to, they have to, they have to, to, because eventually they'll be making their own choices, whether it's at a friend's house or, you know, in college or whatever it is. So you can Mm -hmm. kind of teach them to be empowered in their own body. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for your time. I loved being able to catch up with you and talk with you. And I think this is really helpful information for people. I'm super excited about your research. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. You're giving so much to the world and I appreciate being a part of it. So thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Nourish Soul podcast. Let's stay connected. You can find me on social media at Dr. Kelly Ritter on Facebook and Instagram is Dr. underscore Kelly, K-E-L-L-I. And I would love to connect with you that way. And also, if you want to find out what we're doing or what we're up to at the Nourish Soul, you can come to the website, nourished-soul.com and you can join our 30 calm community it's free to join so visit the website there are lots of articles there you can find out what's new what's going on if there are any events or workshops or um, I also do some group coaching so you can find all that information on the website I look forward to connecting